Welcome to Gaia's Love, a podcast of brief messages to help humanity bridge the gap to the new earth. My name is Vivian Gerard. It is my delight to be a scribe for consciousness today, sharing the wisdom that flows through from source. Here we go. episode 89. It is Thursday today. Very wet, very cold. We had a surprise, not so surprise, (laughs) ice storm that moved in last night that didn't quite give us the snow day I think everyone was hoping for. But it has created this incredible winter wonderland outside. Just the magic when ice lands and forms on trees. And all the branches just shine in like a crystal fairyland. It's amazing. So I am coming to you from inside, looking out at all of the magic. Um, Yeah, and also feeling very present and um, moving through some emotions. Uh, We had a close friend whose parent transitioned last night and so I've been contemplating the process of death and mourning and grieving today and when I find myself in that space I tend to look for wisdom or inspiration from those that I love and trust. So today, I am going to read you a chapter, a short chapter, from Elizabeth Lesser's book, Broken Open, How Difficult Times Can Help Us Grow. I've quoted from this book before, and um, if you're not familiar with Elizabeth Lesser, she is the founder of the Omega Institute, which is in upstate New York, and hosts all of the sages and gurus and teachers of the world for workshops and seminars and healing sessions. So she has just a wealth of life experiences that she brings to this book that she wrote. And my copy of it is underlined and dog-eared and (laughs) it's very well read. And so I looked at that and I'm sharing the part that feels relevant. Um, Yesterday the podcast was about completing cycles and Some of those cycles are life-death cycles. Some of us are moving through relationship endings or cycles or jobs, transitions, maybe moving from one location to another. The personal cycles that I talked about where perhaps we're giving up addictions. The grieving process is not, not only felt when we lose someone we love, That, I believe, is perhaps the more intense experience of grief. But it can happen in all these tiny moments throughout our days and our weeks and our lifetime. And this Scorpio energy is about really sitting with the idea of death and then rebirth or life after death. So this chapter that I'm going to read, I'll put a link to the book in the comments. I highly recommend you purchase a copy and 
underline and read it through <laughs> as I have. This is page, I can't see the page number, 221 maybe. Good Grief is the title of the chapter. All right, Elizabeth Lesser. Let the young rain of tears come. Let the calm hands of grief come. It's not all as evil as you think. A quote by Rolf Jacobson. Thich Nhat Hanh says that study and death can help each of us become someone who has a great capacity for being solid, calm, and without fear. Even so, we often feel anything but solid and calm when someone we love dies. Death stirs up conflicted feelings in the hearts of those left behind. Some of us feel shaky and tender. Others are shocked and angry. Almost everyone is confused and unsettled. All of these feelings are included in what we call grief. There is an art to grieving. To grieve well the loss of anyone or anything, a parent, a love, a child, an era, a home, a job, is a creative act. It takes attention and patience and courage. But many of us do not know how to grieve. We were never taught, and we don't see examples of full-bodied grieving around us. Our culture favors the fast food model of mourning. Get over it quick and get back to work. Affix the bandage of closure and move on. I am not a big fan of closure. It sounds so ab abrupt, so tidy, so final. I prefer old-fashioned words like mourning, lamentation, and grief. They suggest a slow and stoppy, sloppy process, one that involves emotional upheaval, interrupted activity, and dark nights of the soul. They describe the true nature of family gatherings and memorial services, which are never easy or neat. Grief is messy and painful. No wonder we may want to stay clear of it. But grief is also a tonic. It is a healing elixir made of tears that lubricate the heart this is the young rain of tears that the poet Rolf Jacobson speaks of. When a friend or family member dies, or when the world loses one of its beloved citizens, we should not hold back our tears. Our tears and the calm hands of grief that follow are not signs of some tragic and evil reality. It's not all as evil as you think, the poet says. Grief is the proof of our love a demonstration of how deeply we have allowed another to touch us. Grief is often confused with depression or self-pity. While one can certainly go into a woeful tailspin during the grieving process, in the long term, grief is not the same as depression. If we gloss over our grief, we might become depressed. Unfelt feelings and unexpressed grief have a way of dulling life. It is as if with every grief we do not feel we stuff another handful of our vitality underground until we are numb or sick or embittered. I have counseled many people whose lives took destructive detours because of unfelt grief. A couple came to one of my workshops after a crisis in their marriage. The husband, whom I'll call George, had lost both his mother and his father to cancer shortly after he and his wife married. Then his brother drowned in a boating accident. With each loss, George threw himself more fervently into his work as an environmental lawyer, traveling extensively and taking on more and more responsibility. His wife complained that he was never home. His children rarely saw him. His family's requests for attention and intimacy confused and angered him. 
He thought he was doing all he could for them by working hard, caring for their financial needs, and creating a stable home. Now they were asking him for something more, something he couldn't access, something he was dead to within himself. His wife and children became living reminders of his numbed heart. He began to spend even more time away from home. When he traveled, he drank heavily, just so I could feel something, he said. One night on a two-week business trip in Brazil, George brought a woman back to his hotel room. He knew he was playing with fire. He knew this could be the beginning of the end of his marriage, but he did it and said, because I couldn't feel anything anymore, because I was numb, because I was afraid if I didn't do it, I would freeze to death. All during that business trip, he worked long hours with an international conservation organization, then came back to the hotel to drink and spend the night with a woman. He stopped calling home. On the last day of the trip, he came back to his room, and there on the hotel's voicemail was a message from his wife. She was filing for divorce. The shock of the message, combined with the events of the week, exploded a dam in George's heart, a dam holding back years of unfelt grief. He huddled in his bed, terrified by the waves of anguish that swept over his normally laced-up emotions. His business partners left Brazil without him. He stayed on for several days, swimming in an ocean of sorrow. There, alone in a room, thousands of miles from home, he traveled back in time. Images of his mother and father and brother haunted him. He mourned their deaths as if they had just occurred. He spent hours on the phone with his wife, weeping, apologizing, listening, telling the truth. Rung out, yet finally alive, George flew home and joined his marriage and family as if for the first time. When I met them, George and his wife were celebrating two anniversaries, one year of sobriety for George and one year of a new marriage for both of them. Things were still shaky, they said, and they knew they were not out of the woods yet, but George had come back from the dead. He had done it by descending into darkness, falling apart and grieving. He had finally opened the space in his heart that had scarred over when his parents and brother died. In it, he found his life. When my father died, I was stunned by the size of space that his sudden departure had left. I wanted to fill it with something that would take away the emptiness and the pain. I wanted to go back to work right away or take a trip or do something, anything to get back to normal. But I sensed that I should sit tight with my grief, that I should allow the pain to have its way with me. I took time off from work and gave myself over to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls the gap. Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran theologian who lost many friends and family members in World War II and was eventually executed by the Nazis. He wrote, Nothing can make up for the absence of someone whom we love, and it would be wrong to try to find a substitute. We must simply hold out and see it through. That sounds very hard at first, but at the same time it is a great consolation, for the gap, as long as it remains unfilled, preserves the bonds between us. It is nonsense to say that God fills the gap. God doesn't fill it but on the contrary keeps it empty and so helps us to keep alive our former communion with each other, even at the cost of pain. I lived for a couple of weeks in that gap after my father died. It was not an easy experience. I felt restless, despondent, and naked. I cut myself off from others because I felt like an alien in the living world. Sometimes I would... I worried I would never leave the gap. 
At other times, I felt I was bathing in a spiritual sea and didn't want to leave. During those times, I would talk to my father. I would tell him things I never did while he was alive, loving things and not so loving things. He would explain himself to me and I to him. Often I was confused. I didn't understand my feelings. Did I really miss my father so much? That did not seem possible because while I did love him and respect him, I also had a complex relationship with him, replete with poor, com poor communication, frustration, and resentment. Fortunately, understanding is not required for entree into the gap. All one needs to do is to stay in it, to keep it empty of diversions and expectations, and to communicate with the person who has died. When my best friend was dealing with the death of her mother, she was horrified to find that six months after the loss, she was still feeling overcome by grief. Her despair kept her in the dark unknown, day after day, week after week, and month after month. Her grief made some people uncomfortable. Some said that she was depressed and that she should take medication. Others told her to get busy, to go on a vacation, to read this or that book. All of this sounded right to her. She felt guilty and abnormal for being so weak. Yet the more she tried to cure her sorrow, the worse she felt. I gave her the Bonhoeffer quotation and suggested instead of fighting the grief or trying to fill the gap with books or medication or distractions, that she allow it to stay empty, that she wait, that she remain as deeply connected to her mother as she needed to. This helped her. Every time she felt ashamed of how long it was taking her to recover or afraid that she would never recover, she'd go back to the gap. She would clean it out and make a wide open space for her mother. This process energized my friend in a lonely sort of way. She was alone with her mother there in the gap, estranged from this world, yet connected to another. Eventually, after a few more months, a few visitation dreams, and some plain old-fashioned patience, the dark cloud lifted. The hole in her heart became less gaping, and my friend could say that she was ready to enter life again. What happens when we keep the gap empty? Nothing happens, writes the Jungian author Robert Johnson, which is enough to frighten any modern person. But that kind of nothingness is the accumulation or storing of healing energy. It is genius to store energy. Though one has no idea what that energy will be used for, to have a store of energy accumulated is to have power in back of one. We live with our psychic energy in modern times as much as we do with our money, mortgaged into the next decade. Most modern people are exhausted nearly all the time and never catch up to an equilibrium of energy, let alone have a store of energy behind them. With no energy in store, one cannot meet any new opportunity. Keeping the gap open after a loved one has died is a way of storing valuable energy. Without knowing it, I had stored a lot of energy during the months of grieving for my father. One day, after months of sadness and lethargy, I noticed that I was no longer living in the gap. The clouds had lifted. I felt a new sort of energy moving in me. Some of it seemed to be my father's. I was ready to return to my life and put the gifts of grief to good use.
I decided to mark the passage with a ritual of sorts. I took down a few objects given to me by a teacher who had frequently worked at Omega. Ed Benedict is a Native American leader from the Mohawk Nation. He once led an Iroquois condolence ritual at Omega, and afterward gave me the doeskin pouch, dove feather, and clay bowl used in the ceremony. Now I had a use for them. I filled the bowl with water, placed it by a picture of my father, and read aloud the prayer. Some of you may have suffered the loss of a loved one. Perhaps it is something else that has caused you pain. It may be that your eyes have been clouded over by tears and that you can no longer see the beauty of the Creator. Perhaps the soreness of the grief that you have suffered through your eyes now blocks your vision. If this is the case, I offer you in symbolism a white doe skin that I take from the sky of the Creator. The skin of the doe is soft and comforting, and with it, I wipe the tears of soreness of old wounds from your eyes so that you may see clearly once again. Elizabeth writes, I took the doeskin pouch and touched it to my eyes. The prayer continues. I fear that you have suffered the loss of a loved one. Perhaps you may have suffered many losses. It may be that the cries of grief now echo in your ears so that you can no longer hear properly. If this is the case, I offer you a white feather, a gift from the Creator that I take from the sky. I take this feather, and in symbolism, I will clear the cries of grief from your ears, that this silence may rest and comfort you, and that you may hear properly once again. Elizabeth writes, I took the dove feather and brushed it over my ears. The prayer continues. It may be that you have suffered the loss of a loved one. Perhaps something else caused you pain. If this is the case, perhaps you have uttered many cries of grief and done much weeping, and a great sob has become lodged in your throat. This may be keeping you from speaking the truth of the Creator. If this is the case, I will reach into the sky and take for you a bowl of pure water. This water is sweet and pure and comes from the Creator. It will wash the lump of grief from your throat so that once again you may speak clearly and properly. Elizabeth writes, I held, held the bowl to my mouth and drank the water. And the prayer completes. All of these things are offered you in symbolism so that you may be relieved of the pain of whatever losses you have suffered, that once again we may join hands and with open hearts and minds offer gratitude for this day to the Creator. Blessings to all of those we have loved and lost.
Thank you for tuning in to today's vibration. Let's take this message of pure love out into all of our communities and continue expanding love here on Gaia. So much love from my heart to yours.